Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, August 30th, 2010. This is one of those times when I'm... It's not that I have, I'm have i over-prepared. It's, I, I can't even keep up with the heresy hurricane at the moment. Good night. Looking up a last-second verse here that I want to remember before we uh, get into the program proper. Today, it's kind of working on the theme for the program. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. <sighs> um, <laughs> I, I am, I am, I'm, I'm discombobulated. Yeah, I, I need to be recombobulated. Is it possible to recombobulate somebody who's been discombobulated? Uh, that I'm in need of recombobulation. By the way, I appreciate the emails that I've been getting from folks uh, offering to be my mentor and to alleviate that sinful status in my life. Apparently, I, I had no idea that I was sinning by not having a mentor. And uh, so I appreciate uh, the uh, the resumes that are coming in. Actually, they're quite hilarious. Uh, some of them are rather clever and whimsical. I may share a couple of them. <sighs> anyway, um, here here I am. It's it's program time, and uh, this we're, we're we're I'm ready to dish up daily uh, daily dose of biblical discernment. And I'm reeling from a conversation I had uh, on Saturday. And uh, I, I won't give you the names of the, the persons uh, with whom I was conversing, uh, but I did have a chance to, to speak to uh, a young lady who was a young Christian evangelical, well-connected in the evangelical community. Uh, she, uh, she knows some pretty famous uh, folk in the uh, greater evangelical, American evangelical community. And uh, her and her mom... I, I um, uh, frightening, absolutely frightening. What I'm noticing as a trend, they were talking. One of the, you know, my my daughter had this uh, this gal over for, uh, you know, for dinner, and uh, and they, you know, she's a friend. And anyway, uh, got to at the dinner table, got to talk about uh, things uh, pertaining to Christianity, and uh, it, and I absolutely felt horrible for the squirrel and i did my best with the time that i had to lovingly and kindly take her through some scriptures to kind of clear up some of the more blatant problems in uh her in the theologies that she was subscribing to 
uh, because it was clear from the word go that there was some there was some issues. I mean, talk about works righteousness, but not only that, a dependence upon complete subjectivity. I, I remember it was a week or two ago now we reviewed the uh, Joel Osteen sermon where Joel Osteen uh, touted that he was giving people uh, how you can tell, you know, signs that, that God is trying to communicate with you. And, uh, you know, from little birdies that are hanging out on your windowsills to, I mean, just, I mean, I'm thinking, what's next? I mean, are people going to, uh, you know, be, you know, reading uh, the tea leaves or uh, trying to divine what God is saying in, in animal entrails? I, that's, I think this is the direction that we're heading. We've exchanged the truth of God, God the clear teaching of God's word for pure and utter subjective nonsense. It's and I, I am I'm frightened. I'm absolutely frightened. Throw into the mix. I mean, the the basically the church in the United States is a is, well train wreck. It's in shambles. It's uh, imploded. It's completely ineffective. And then over the weekend we have Glenn Beck and his restoring honor to America uh, event which the media is covering as more or less not a political rally, but really a religious rally. And I, um, I've watched uh, a few episodes of Glenn Beck, and uh, I had to stop. And the reason I had to stop is because I pull my hair out every time the guy steers into religion because he's a Mormon. And the straw that broke the camel's back was a program uh, one or two weeks ago now where Beck was blatantly, blatantly uh, trying to uh, to give the latest and greatest Mormon uh, archaeological apologetic. Uh, and, I mean, oh, it's I just wanted to bang my head. And then when he has David Barton on, I just want to scream. The reason why I want to scream is not because some of the things that David Barton says aren't true well let me put it this way david barton drives me crazy and the reason why is because he has a, a propensity for overstating the facts regarding uh you know the the religion of the united states at the time of the founding there's some good stuff that he says and then there's some stuff you just have to sit there and go oh boy this is that just not really the way he colored it let me give you an example david barton you know, on a recent edition of Glenn Beck, made the claim that uh, Thomas Jefferson would uh, was was one of the few presidents that signed official presidential documents. Uh, as you know, when yeah, at the very end, when it came to the date time, he would say in the in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, wow, that makes Thomas Jefferson sound like a Christian. Yeah, well, Thomas Jefferson, I mean, he believed in the God of the Bible insofar as um, no miracles were involved. He was one of the early uh, naturalist liberals, if you would. And uh, his New Testament is famous for cutting every single miracle out of it because he didn't believe in supernatural miracles. He didn't believe it was you know, that God would ever do such a thing. So I don't think that uh, if you understand Thomas Jefferson and the religion that he followed, he was not what we would consider to be um, a conservative, historic Orthodox Christian. Uh, he's more akin to um, uh, a deist or a liberal Unitarian type of guy. And so David Barton, you know, he's, he made this makes this claim on um, 
on Glenn Beck's program, and I just go, oh, good night. You've got to be kidding me, because I know the documents that he's, he's referring to. And those documents were shipping documents that were pre-printed in, in, uh, in our uh, – uh, in our shipping trade between uh, the United States and Holland at the time. And, I mean, they were – and it was – there was a treaty in place that basically required that that particular language be, you know, part of whatever the shipping manifest that had to be signed by the president of the United States. And so Thomas Jefferson, yes, he signed a slew of those documents, and you can find them. It's not hard to find. And uh, and but uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, so th they were pre-printed with the phrase in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that language was not didn't come up from the wells and the heart, uh, 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 the wellspring of Thomas Jefferson's religious conviction. It was a shipping document and the language was predetermined per treaty with Holland. And so um, David Barton isn't exactly speaking the truth, and he's overstating uh, some of the facts regarding um, the religious climate uh, in the United States at its founding. As a result of it, my concern is is that, uh, that when people start to investigate these facts for themselves, they're going to realize, hey, wait a second, uh, a fast one is being pulled here. So, yeah, um, we we got a lot that we could talk about today. Plus, I didn't even get to some of the stories that I wanted to get to last week. So, I mean, oh. and then our sermon review. Oh, this is just, <sighs> yeah, our sermon review today uh, comes uh, via a church in here in Indianapolis. And uh, the name of the church is, I think it's City Community Church. Yeah, City Community Church. It's a seeker-driven, purpose-driven church plant it, that uh, meets in the uh, in the downtown Indianapolis library, and uh, the name of the sermon is <clears throat> Scribbles, and the subtitle that's the name of the sermon series. The subtitle for this particular sermon is entitled Neverland, and it's preached by a woman by the name of Tara Gentry. And talk about a train wreck! This, I mean, this is probably the most narcissistic and biblically uh, vapid. Uh, attempts at a sermon that I have ever heard, and it it shows really the shambles that the uh, the church in the United States is in. It's this is really 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 um uh, this is uh, it's um it, bad news. It's just uh, the the whole everything right now is a train wreck and it's a mess. And so um, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I have no idea which exactly sto which stories we're going to exactly get into today, but uh, I'm going to try to uh, talk about Glenn Beck. I'm going to try to talk, uh, get to some of these uh, stories that I didn't get to last week, and we'll just go until we're done. Yeah, you know that's what we do. Make yourself comfortable. If I sound frustrated, I am, and the reason why I'm frustrated is because. It's absolutely galling to me that a Mormon is taking the religious lead in the United States and calling America back to morals and values. Oh, where? Where are our Christ-centered, cross-focused clergy that are doing their job? I mean, oh, <laughs> Do I sound frustrated? Yeah, I, I might be just a smidge frustrated. Just, you know. <sighs>
now that I've got the, at least some of it off my chest, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> ready to dive into the program. From The Guardian in the UK, headline reads, African clergy told to re-evangelize ailing Anglican church. You know, when I was growing up, the churches that I attended, we would uh, have, you know, missionary Sundays. When we would we, we would bring in the missionaries that our particular congregation was supporting out in the mission field, and uh, and they would give us updates as to uh, how things were going in the mission field. And back in those days, well, the mission field included, you know, such places as Papua New Guinea. Uh, Africa, portions of Africa and things like we were sending missionaries to Africa. Well, in a bizarre and rather um, scary turnaround, Africans are thinking about sending missionaries to, well, to us. Uh, this is written by Rizat Boot, uh, who's a religious affairs correspondent for The Guardian in the UK. Uh, the headline reads, The Archbishop of Uganda has urged hundreds of African bishops to shake off their fears, shame, and superficial dependency in re-evangelizing and re-evangelize the ailing churches of the West. Yeah. Let that sink in for a second. Let me read that again. The uh, hundreds of African bishops to shake off their fears, shame, and superficial dependency and re-evangelize the ailing churches of the West, apparently, uh, it's not that not that they want to send <clears throat> missionaries to the United States or to the West. They want to send them to the churches in the West. In a rallying cry to the biggest uh, constituency of the Anglican Communion, uh, communion Henry O'Romby said yesterday that uh, that it was time for Africans to rise up and bring fresh life to the ailing to ailing global Anglicanism. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Have you seen the Episcopal Church in the United States? His call came on the day that the U.S. Episcopalians published a guide on liturgical and ceremonial resources for clergy and same-sex couples. Arambi was addressing 400 bishops who were in, in Entebbe, Uganda, this week uh, for the second meeting of the Council of African Provinces of Africa. He told them the... Uh, Quote, potentials attending the conference must be free to go to Europe and to the United States and revive the mother church desperate for the gospel. And you know what? Orambi is absolutely right. He's absolutely right. The, the, the church has become a huge mission field in the West, and folks are desperate for the gospel. I, this is something I don't. I, I normally don't talk about radio stats here on this program because I, quite frankly, I. Let me put it this way: so many times when I listen to seeker-driven guys, they talk about numbers like you know they're 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 doing some magical, wonderful thing because they're so innovative. There's, I mean, they have this vision from the Lord. I mean. Quite frankly, the way I look at Pirate Christian Radio is is that I I sometimes wonder if God goes, you know, I wonder who's silly enough to actually try that one. I, I you know, and then he it let me do it because I, this is not because of some grand innovative vision that I've had. And then when it comes to our listener stats, um, the, the 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 station just continues to grow, and our listener stats have been blowing through the roof in the last ten weeks. Our audience has grown thirty percent, and I can't figure out why because quite frankly. I haven't been doing anything different. We haven't been doing anything different here at Pirate Christian Radio. And so 
I can tell you this, it's not because I'm so innovative and, and such great a great vision casting you know, whatever. You know what I think it is? I think people are just desperate to hear the gospel. They're desperate to hear the Bible actually handled in a serious manner. I, I, they're they're desperate for somebody to take a hard biblical line and not give an inch of ground to hear what that sounds like. And that's what we do here at Pirate Christian Radio. But uh, anyway, so I, I, it's not because I'm this great re- guy with great rhetorical skills. Not at all. I think the fo- those of you who are listening to Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith who really uh, really can't wait to hear the next edition of it. It's not because I'm so wonderful. It's because God's word is so great. And because the one thing you hear here is the gospel. And, I mean, I, I feel like a theological one-trick pony is what I, you know, when it, when it really comes down. Well, actually, one-trick pirate. And, yeah, anyway, you get what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm reading the story, and, and Arambi from Uganda, I think he's absolutely right that the churches here in the United States are desperate for the gospel. And what's their solution? The Africans are thinking about sending missionaries to the churches here in the United States. <clears throat> Listening to Arambi was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. I'm sure he just rolled his eyes when he heard this, who faces an awkward week as he visits Uganda for the first time since he took office in 2002. According to the Daily Nation in Kenya, African church leaders will use... Uh, the meeting to reiterate their concerns about homosexuality and criticize the archbishop for failing to punish communities that welcome gays and lesbians into the pews and priesthood. Exactly. <laughs> Boy, those bishops there in Africa actually still have the expectation of, of church discipline. Folks, listen, the devil is not interested in cooperating with the, with Christianity, with with Christ, and and coexisting in a peaceful, loving, uh, live and let live relationship. Okay, Satan is hostile to the gospel and hates, hates, hates Christ, hates God the Father, hates the Holy Spirit, hates the gospel, hates the church, hates anything that has to do with or belongs to the one true God. As a result of it, Satan is not interested in coexisting with biblical Christians. He wants to completely decimate the church and make it ineffective when it comes to preaching the gospel. That is one of the reasons why the church, why the scriptures, according to, you know, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us outlines and actions that we're supposed to take regarding church discipline and those who steer away from the sound Christian biblical faith. You got to put them out. You see, oh, this is terrible. This is so judgmental. <laughs> you leave them in and what do they do? They become a cancerous tumor that eats out the church from the inside. I'm almost convinced uh, this is a radical idea. I, back to folks, warning, I'm about to give my own opinion here at the moment, and uh, my opinions are not known to be sane. So personally, you know what I think needs to happen? I, I think that the what's left of the confessing church in the West, okay, confessing Calvinists, confessing Lutherans, confessing Anglicans, confessing Baptists, okay, we need to convene a ecumenical council of the, what's left of the confessing churches. And at that ecumenical council, there needs to be anathemas pronounced. 
the the basically the the main pick the top five heresies and heretics right now in the in the Western Church at large or pick in the world and absolutely convene these church councils to biblically and theologically hammer out a response to them and declare them to be heretics and basically do the job that they're supposed to do and say, as representatives of Christ on earth, we cast them out of the church and declare them to be anathema. Believe me when I tell you this would make headlines all over the world. But that's what has to happen. That is exactly what has to happen. That church discipline has got to be brought, it has got to take place again. And and you're thinking, Chris, that's kind of radical, getting uh, Lutherans and Calvinists. and the, Normally those guys fight. Yeah, I, un, I understand that. In, in this particular sense, what I'm talking about is convening a Catholic, with a small c, ecumenical council of confessing churches that still actually proclaim the historic Christian faith, what few of them there are. And, and basically putting out a public declaration that says these people are heretics, they are outside of the Christian church. And what would happen then is, is that it would inject into the – basically into the con- religious conversation out there that there are still Christians who believe that there's a such thing as the truth and that error has consequences and and believes that we're supposed to do what the Bible tells us to do. I mean, I can think of a short list of people that I think that should be attending this thing. Matthew Harrison of the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Albert Muller of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, Kim Riddlebarger, Mike Horton should be in attendance. Uh, you know, uh, we'll find some confessing guys from uh, the Anglican Church, uh, maybe even a Rombi here from uh, from Africa. Convene these guys, and it's going to be a, 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 literally two to three weeks closed door session and then at the end of it uh there's going to be canons from the council and heretics they're going to be named by name and their doctrine declared to be anathema i know it sounds crazy i i can only dream but that's exactly what has to happen Catherine jefford shorey should be on the short list of people who should be condemned as a heretic and said to be outside of christianity Mm-hmm. John Shelby Spong, uh, throw in Patricia King, uh, somebody who should be declared to be heterodox and dangerous, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels. I mean, that's what needs to happen. Without an organized voice, there... Uh, anyway. I I have no idea what's gotten into me today. I must be out of my mind. So anyway, if you want to read the, more of this story, uh, you can go to the Telegraph, the Guardian. It's the Guardian in the UK. That's from the paper, and you can talk. You can read more about how Africans in the Anglican Communion are uh, seriously considering sending missionaries to Britain and to the United States, and they consider the church to be well a mission field. So I just just. Once, yeah, okay. Uh, another story I didn't get to uh, last week, but I thought was worth passing along. And by the way, I'm going to mess up uh, Tulian's. I can't pronounce his last name to save my life. Uh, the guy who is now the pastor at uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Uh, the headline reads: Florida megachurch ends age seg- segregated worship. Uh, this, uh, this makes headlines um, at our church. Um, by the way. 
none of the Lutheran uh, congregations, none of the confessional Lutheran congregations that I have been a member of have ever engaged in age-segregated worship. And I think that's exactly the way it should be. So I'm glad to hear that uh, that uh, Tulian, um, I can't pronounce his last name, Tikavigian, uh, uh, that's my attempt at it, that uh, he's uh, decided to um, do, you know, go the way that other churches have, well, never gone. Anyway, let, let me read. Uh, this is written by Lillian Kwan. A Florida megachurch has axed its traditional and contemporary Sunday worship services, refusing to continue the uh, down the wide path of segregated worship. Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale now offers only one service at 1015 with essentially blended worship. That means no more separation based on ages, no more separation based on likes, and no more segregations and uh, uh, based on comfort, to which I basically say, amen, it should have never happened in the first place. The aim by church leaders, including senior pastor uh, Tulian Tikavigian, I, that's my attempt at it, was to unite the congregation and demonstrate the power of the gospel. Quote, the best way... A church can demonstrate the unifying power of the gospel before our very segregated world is to maintain a community that transcends cultural barriers. Right on. Uh, Tikovigian said that uh, said in a sermon earlier this month, quote, the church should be the one institution, the one community, the one countercultural community in our world that breaks barriers down. To which I say, you know, he's absolutely right. Yeah, remember that the old adage, divide and conquer? Well, that's, I think, exactly what's been happening in our churches. And uh, as a result of it, I mean, you have you have adult services, and you have uh, services geared only for uh, for the youth. And what, and what happens in the youth group services? Well, all kinds of mayhem and uh, very shallow uh, biblical teaching at all. So uh, I, I applaud... Um, Tully in there at uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church for ending the segregation, ending the seg- segregation, and uh, and going back to having the church worship together regardless of age. Smart, smart move. I just, I you know, got it. You know, again, if you want to read more of this, you can find it at the. Uh, Christian Post, ChristianPost.com. All right, we're up on our first break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about Glenn Beck uh, and uh, look at some of the coverage of his uh, recent event. And then we're also going to steer into uh, more of this uh, complete people exchanging God's word, the, the sure and certain word of God for just complete superstitious nonsense. That's the only way that I can describe it. So uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve package. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered uh, gospel Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. 
some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so. And the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, if you leave heretics in the church, their goal will be to destroy the church. That's how it works. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code four. Six zero three eight. Need to remind you all, even though it's the summer months and we're at the tail end of the summer, we still have to pay our bills. And so, uh, if you are not a, a supporter of us financially, then please uh, become one so that uh, we can continue to pay our bills. It just it's just a little tight around here at the moment. So, <sighs> okay, moving along. Glenn Beck uh, over the weekend had his uh, Restoring Honor thing. And here's Reason TV's uh, coverage of the um, 
of the event. Hi, I'm Nick Gillespie with Reason TV, and we're at the Lincoln Memorial on the uh, National Mall waiting for the Glenn Beck Restoring Our Honor Rally to start. Later in the day, Beck and Sarah Palin, are, among others, are going to be talking. We really don't have any idea what's going on here. From the very beginning of this great country, our faith has driven us to become the greatest people the world has ever known. Okay, uh, listen to you. Uh, our faith has driven us. Our faith has driven us. Uh, I don't have the same faith as Glenn Beck. But now it seems, as darkness begins to grow again, faith is in short supply. To restore America, we must restore ourselves. We must rediscover the values and principles that the founders established. We must restore the faith that once guided us. Uh, he doesn't share the same faith as um, at least the Christian founders. I have just gotten word from the media that there is over a thousand people here today. We are humbled that you are here. And we come to you once again asking for healing, for restoration, for recovery. Yeah, notice that this event uh, pretty much was, well, uh, kind of a religious rally. And there's evangelical Christians. I'm looking at the TV coverage here. People who are bowing their head in prayer, raising their hands to the Lord. You know... As somebody who subscribes to what is called the two kingdoms, uh, this, this is this idea that uh, the, the political kingdom, uh, the, uh, the kingdom of uh, the left, is really designed to keep human uh, humanity in check and uh, keep us from beating up on each other and basically punish evildoers. I don't have a problem as Americans coming together as Americans to uh, call the United States back to its founding principles. Um, to get back to uh, basically what's outlined in the Federalist Papers, uh, go back to the Constitution, uh, basically call for an end to uh, this creeping socialism and Marxism, uh, and for and basically, uh, I don't have a problem with that. But the, it's the job of the church, the, the church's job, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Here, Glenn Beck is basically becoming a moral cheerleader in the political realm, and here's the problem. I don't have the same faith that he does. In fact, he subscribes to a false cult. He does not believe in the biblical Jesus. The Jesus he believes in is the is the spirit brother of Lucifer, uh, born to uh, the god Elohim on planet Kolob. Um, yeah, I mean, this, uh, this is what Mormonism teaches, and Mormonism teaches uh, that we can all become gods. And so, um, folks, um, you know, here's my uh, take on all of this. Um, the church has refused to do its job. The Christian church has refused to do its job. And that job is the job given to it by Jesus Christ himself. And what is that job? To proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Instead, the church is off in bizarro world. God's word means nothing. It's not preached correctly from a, a vast number of pulpits in the United States in so-called churches. We listen to the sermons and review them here frequently at Fighting for the Faith. 
Um, uh, uh, pastors are, well, they're too busy uh, building their own little kingdoms to themselves. Or in other cases, you have people who've completely abandoned sound biblical teaching and has deci- have decided basically to surrender to the culture and to give the culture what the culture wants. You want rock and roll music? We'll give you rock and roll music and, and churches. You don't want any hymns that have any substance? We won't give you any hymns that have any substance. You want uh, preaching that uh, scratches your itching ears and gives you life tips? Oh, we'll give you that. You want homosexual merits? Oh, you can have that too. You want you want your pastor to be a, a practicing homosexual? No problem. You can have that as well. And over and over and oh, you want evolution? Yeah, you can have that. Evolution's fine. No, no, no problem. Oh, you want you want the Holy Spirit to be a female and you want to be able to pray to a mother goddess? Oh, no problem. You can have. In fact, we'll even give you a Bible translation that kind of obscures the um, the masculine pronouns so that you can. Uh, uh, that you can uh, you can feel like you can get in touch with your inner goddess. That's no problem. Yeah, and so what's happened here is is the church has not done its job, and so now to our shame, to our shame, the guy who's taking the quote moral high ground, the guy who's taking the religious high ground in the realm of politics in the United States isn't even a Christian. He's a member of a Christian cult, C-U-L-T. Yeah. Yeah, the, it, folks, I don't like it any bit as, as I don't like it as much as any of you don't like it. But you know what? It's to our shame. I, I think this is, I, I personally, it wouldn't surprise me if God is doing this as to basically shame us. You guys don't want to do your job? You don't want to preach Christ and him crucified for your sins? Fine, I'm going to turn you over to your own stupid idolatries. And uh, and just to shame you, I'm going to raise up a Mormon guy to, to take the moral high ground and shame you all because you won't do your job. I remember uh, when I first uh, started listening to uh, Dr. Walter Martin's radio program, he had this little tagline that he would uh, that he would throw in at the end of his uh, radio program. And he asked the question, are you willing to do for the truth what the cults are willing to do for a lie? Because the one thing you could say about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and other um, false religious cult, cult leaders and followers is, is that, boy, they sure do put in a lot of work promoting their religion. Yeah, those you know those Mormons. I mean, those missionary guys. I mean, no sooner are they out of high school and they get the diploma than they're sent out onto the mission field for two years. In fact, you know, as teenagers, they're training them to go out onto the mission field and go door to door on their little bicycles, or in, you know, depending on what part of the world they're in, they might even have a, a small uh, eco-friendly vehicle that they that they drive around in. And so, here's how I see it. Christian church is completely preoccupied with its own idolatries and has refused to do its job. And so here in the United States, we've got a Mormon supposedly leading us back to God. It's an absolute shame. It's an absolute shame. And you know what? I don't blame Glenn Beck. I blame the church. I blame the church for not doing its job. And for reconciliation, 
Well, yes, and it's about unification. Um, all religions, all religions coming together as one voice uh, in this great country, just to uh, let, let the government know that that we're united as, as even though we're maybe different religions, we're united as one people in order to uh, change what the government is doing and, and not representing us. Uh, we, we pay their salaries; they need to know who who's the boss. Why are you here today? Um, well, I think that there's a lot going on that's separating the country, and I think that this is about unity. This is about everybody coming together, and I think this is just... What is the role of religion in your decision to come here today? Are you wearing a Catholic classic t-shirt? So. Um, well, it really didn't have much with my decision coming here today, but it definitely, you know, plays a big part in my life, and I know a lot of people here um, as well. Religion is important to you. It's important to people here today. What about uh, Judaism or Islam? How does that factor in? Is that is that okay as well? Uh, Judaism... Uh, this Bible was written by Jews. Islam's, it doesn't factor in. What do you mean? It just doesn't factor in. They're here to kill us. If you're a good, if you're a good Muslim, you'll kill Christians. I just want to point something out here. Okay, yeah, being the entrepreneur that I am, I sometimes can see the silver lining in bad situations. I, quite frankly, you know what I'm seeing here is that in the United States there is a thirst and a hunger for something real and spiritually substantive. And Glenn Beck can't pr provide it. Glenn Beck can only provide them lies. This is a perfect opportunity. This is the perfect time for the church to stop being preoccupied with all these stupid endeavors that they're trying to do and get back to preaching the gospel preaching sin and grace, law and gospel, and calling sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to basically providing sound, in-depth, biblical preaching and teaching that isn't surfacy, that treats God's word reverently, and goes in-depth. That's what, you know, there's, there's a real, um, how, how shall I put it, thirst for those types of things. And I think the Glenn Beck rally should show us that. But I'm going to tell you this. If the church doesn't, if it doesn't repent and get back to the, the important thing that it's been called to do, then um, they're going to find their spirituality. They're going to find their spiritual message in Mormonism. And it's to our shame. It's absolutely to our shame. Uh, one member of the Mormon church uh, from the LDS uh, Church Examiner, he wrote about the uh, Glenn Beck rally, and um, and uh, I'm not going to read his entire thing, but uh, I want to read just a little bit from uh, his piece that kind of shows you from an insider's point of view in the LCM, uh, not the LCMS, in the Latter Day Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and um, see if you can uh, see what's going on uh, here and uh, w what's wrong with this. Because, I mean, this is kind of a rank-and-file Mormon. And um, here's how he uh, hand how he covered it. Uh, quote, Glenn Beck, a rank-and-file elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, boldly invited Americans to come back to God. 
He called upon them to exercise faith, hope, and love. He called on them to practice charity and to tithe to their churches. He called on them to open the Bibles and go back to their churches. He challenged them with the words of Thomas Jefferson to question with boldness the very existence of God. He urged them to put their families first and to set a good example. He asked parents to humble themselves and pray on their knees in front of their children. It was a pure gospel message. No, it wasn't, sir. That wasn't gospel. That was all law. Basically, he's preaching moralism without the cross. Morals without the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, calling people to repent and be forgiven of their sins. Quote, the rally's focus was on the principles of faith, hope, and charity with a strong dose of honoring the troops thrown in for good measure. The program was punctuated by inspiring speeches from speakers, including Sarah Palin, who spoke as a mother of a veteran, not a politician. It featured Dr. Alveda King, pro-life activist and niece of the late Dr. Martin uh, Luther King. Uh, and uh, there was uh, presentations of medals for faith, hope, and charity to a lifelong pastor and civil rights, uh, civil rights pioneer, Reverend C.L. Jackson, baseball star Albert Pujols, and billionaire philanthropist John Huntsman. The rally featured patriotic music, traditional gospel music, bagpipes, and concluded with numbers from popular country artists. During one symbolic moment, Beck introduced some 200 clergymen from various religions and denominations, he dubbed them, quote, the black-robed brigade, a reference to Revolutionary War America, where the preachers proclaimed no king but Jesus. From their pulpits, uh, uh, Beck acknowledged that there would be inevitable doctrinal differences between these pastors, but they could find unity in knowing that God was the answer. I believe that Glenn Beck's desire in some measure was to create a King Benjamin moment. The Book of Mormon relates a landmark gathering of some of the ancient inhabitants of the Americas to hear the words of King Benjamin. <sighs> Quote, as a Mormon, I have to consider the unintended message throughout Beck's work, which has culminated in this event. And that message is Mormons are Christian believers, despite nearly two centuries of misrepresentation and religious envy by sectarian Christianity. Beck has achieved the visibility, prominence, and has had the time day after day, week after week, to speak openly and truly about his core beliefs. Those statements of faith have disoriented and confused those who have previously believed the lies about Mormons. Just a few weeks ago, Beck discussed the heresies evident in liberation theology and declared his belief of individual salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. One confused person commented on Free Republic, a frequent forum for open Mormon bashing, that, quote, this would mean that Beck is born again. Yeah, see, um, these, this Mormon elder, uh, by the way, his name is Greg West, who wrote this piece. It's called Glenn Beck and, uh, and the Restoring Honor Rally. As a Mormon, he sees what Glenn Beck is doing is basically sending the message out that Mormons are Christian believers. They are not. They are not. They don't believe in the biblical Jesus. The God of Mormonism is not the God of Scriptures. And... um so here we are now with um, a Mormon leading us religiously. Uh, this is even more galling than having Oprah being considered to be America's pastor. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's my take on it. Now, where's the church? Well, the church is often bizarro world. Now, that's the only way I can put it. Um, to give you an example of just where the church is or isn't, um, 
I'm going to play to you an audio segment uh, from the uh, It's Supernatural, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural program. Now, if you're thinking, that, well, this is just kookiness from, um, you know, from the Bizarro uh, Signs and Wonders group. No, what you're going to hear, I've been hearing from people who call themselves conservative Christians. Okay? where apparently dreams and visions and signs from God and nature have replaced the Bible and, and us hearing from God from the scriptures. Here are Hank and Brenda, um, oh, I forget their last names, uh, Kuhneman, I, I, anyway, talking about um, the secrets of effective prayer. Listen in. Hank, you had this birth. You had a yes. It's Hank and Brenda Kuhneman. Problem. <laughs> yes, Is I God did. going to answer your prayers? <laughs> yes. Tell me about that. Well, it was a problem. It was such a problem, Sid, that I would fall asleep in prayer. I would. Uh, this lasted like six months. I had what I call spiritual attention deficit disorder. I'd go to pray, <laughs> and I, everything would distract me. Uh, I felt like God was a million miles away, and I said, "Lord, have I sinned? Have I done something wrong?" So I finally decided. To do the spiritual thing. Are you ready? Well, to go on a three-day fast. And I'm talking about not just, you know, uh, fast, you know, snicker bars for Mars bars or something. I'm talking about I really was so hungry. I said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do a water fast. But then I snuck something. I snuck a bag of snacks. Because the Lord hadn't been talking to me just in case for six months. Yeah, I packed because I'm like, I'm not going hungry. And so I went out for three days to seek the Lord. with snacks. Yeah, well, they were my backup survival kit, you know. If God doesn't come, I'm eating. Oh, I gotcha. That's it. If God doesn't show up, and I'm sure there's people that feel that way where you're like, where is God, you know. But I decided, you know, I'm going to take three days, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to fast. I'm going to get a hold of this God. I'm going to refuse to leave this God alone. And I read in the Bible where Moses didn't leave him alone. Jacob didn't leave him alone, and and, and, the, and the names go on. And what Bible are you reading, Hank Kuhneman? I have no idea what you're talking about, folks. If you think this is just crazy stuff that you get on on religious television, keep in mind, religious Christian programming in the United States is practically a billion dollar a year industry. Between all of the different heretics on uh, TBN. And uh, and on different, you know, the by paid, you know, paid advertising spots on uh, on television, uh, cable television, we're talking about billions of dollars being raised by these people every single year. And what do they traffic in? False doctrine, completely bizarre spiritual ideas that are not rooted in scripture. They don't they don't traffic in the gospel. They don't traffic in sound doctrine. They traffic traffic in lunacy. That's what we're hearing here. This guy sounds so spiritual. <laughs> yeah, I went on a fast, and uh, let's continue. I said, I am going to get a hold of God. So, again, I brought my snack survival kit. And what happened is uh, I, I set everything up in my cabin, and I walked out uh, in the woods to go pray, trying to get a hold of God. Now, keep in mind, I've been falling asleep. Uh, I would uh, wake up praying for a fast food uh, restaurant, and that's why they've sold over a billion hamburgers, the one I've been praying for, because I would intercede, yeah. and then I would <laughs> find up saying the name of that restaurant. I mean, crazy stuff like that. So I was walking through the uh, the forest here, uh, woods, and I looked, and off in the distance. Now, the music is for a, basically a, a reenactment of his time in the forest when he was looking for a sign from God because he suffered from a spiritual attention deficit disorder. We continue. 
And I try to quote the scripture that talks about, you know, as my as a deer pen of forth the water, so my soul longs after you. I was trying to get spiritual with God. Uh, and so these deer were out there, and I said, Lord, if you're even listening to me, make those deer come to me. Do you know what happened, Sid? No. I got to tell you, you're not even going to believe this. The deer ran the opposite direction. <laughs> And I said, that's it. I must have done something the wrong. The ultimate not get your prayers answered. Right. And I said, God, what did I do? So I was so frustrated. And I don't... So this guy's basically preaching some... He's out in nature and he prayed a prayer that if, if God is listening, that the deer would come up to him and, well, they ran off. And this is what This is what has taken the place of sound biblical preaching and there's a and this is the kind of stuff that's appearing on so-called christian television programming and broadcast and beamed all around the world on television on the internet and there's millions and millions of people watching this stuff and feeling like they're being taught christianity and they're not encourage anyone to do this i shook my fist at the lord i said god that's it and then i do what a lot of times we do and we're really frustrated at god we try to tell him how to do his job i said well if i was you father if i was god and somebody was out here trying to this guy's just preaching basic this all of this theology that he's teaching at this point just it burbles up from inside of him none of this is grounded in the word seek your face i would at least have answered and i would have brought those deer to him and i began to really be a, a real brat and uh, so i decided i had enough and i sat down and i fell asleep 45 minutes later i heard a noise and i could not believe what i saw i mean very close to me a few feet away were the very same deer that look like they went the opposite direction god. see it's a sign from god uh, who needs a bible what we need to do is go into the wilderness and pray that special animal miracles take place so we can know that god's listening to us god was listening and he brought those deer uh, right next to me immediately i went back into my prayer cabin and i i started to grab the door and i walked in the door because i was going to repent because i mean i was in big trouble after what i said i knew but the lord is so merciful he's such a good father i mean he knows when we're brats and so as soon as i opened the door a power the power of god himself grabbed a hold of me and threw me across the room and i was uh literally overcome by the spirit of god's presence and he's right sounds like something a demon would do pick you up and throw you across the room Sounds like uh, the demon possession that took place in, uh, it was a Macedonia near Philippi, the seven sons of Sceva. said to me, I've taught you something that'll never be taken from you. It's spiritual pursuit. See, sometimes people only pray when everything's That's right. good. That's right. Jesus prayed in three primary places, the desert, the wilderness. Okay. And That's uh, right. what was the other one? Desert, wilderness, the and mountaintop. mountaintop. We That's only when pray things about, are going yeah, good. Things the are going good. Yeah, those of you who uh, who are galled about the fact that Glenn Beck, a Mormon, is uh, now the so-called spiritual leader, you know, basically put himself in front of the spiritual call to faith uh, here in the United States. Um, these are the folks that are basically being put in front of us and have been put in front of us for decades now. And they thrive in the churches. Is it any wonder now that we have a spirit, uh, a Mormon as taking the spiritual lead here in the United States? 
I like having her here today so she helps me out. But anyway, on the mountaintop, you know, when everything's good. We don't like praying in the valley when things are low. We don't like praying when things are hot. And so I learned something. I learned how to get a hold of God and not to give up. And that's that's why we have supernatural experiences. That's right. Oh, this is just ridiculous. We've had to press through some pretty hard things. That's kind of how we started our ministry, I think. Why is it that basic, complete lunatics and complete spiritual nut jobs charlatans and uh, and basically con artists are the people that that permeate the pulpits and and the fa- and out of the faces on Christian television the, none of this is grounded in God's word this isn't sound biblical doctrine none of it's from God this is just pure superstition and them so oh well we're because we've done this and now we understand the secrets to effective prayer we have all these supernatural things happening in our life oh wow we got to follow them because like they they oh man just many hours of of pacing the floor um, when it looked like it was not going to go right. And I think that's the the big um, hurdle that many people have to overcome in their pursuit of God is you're not always going to feel like it. It's not always going to seem like anything's happening. It's not always going to. When is the Christian church going to rise up and openly and publicly declare these people to be what they are, charlatans and heretics? It's time to clean house. It's time for us to draw a line and say, no, this is not biblical. And not leave it up to parachurch organizations to do this. Don't, don't leave it up to Pirate Christian Radio or the Christian Research Institute or CARM. It's time for relig- what's left of the confessing historic church in the United States and in the West to basically say, no, it's time for us to cl- come up with some clear doctrinal anathemas that basically declare these people to be charlatans, hucksters, dangerous teachers, heterodox, and heretics. Feel like the prayers are working, but that is where you learn to press into God anyway, because when you do, that's when you break through. And of course, I think of the woman with the issue of blood. She had to break through the crowd and press to where Jesus. <sighs> These people do not know how to handle God's word, and most people don't. And here's the deal. What you're hearing, what you've been listening to, is the main stream of American Christianity. It's not the kook fringe. It's The kook fringe has become the mainstream. That's the problem here. So personally, I consider Glenn Beck to be, you know, to shame the church. I mean... How ridiculous is it that it's a Mormon who's taking the spiritual reins here in the United States? Unbelievable. I just, do I sound a little incensed? I probably am just a smidge incensed. We're up on our second break. Sermon review when we come back, and it's, uh, wow, it's another example. And this is from a so-called Bible-believing, conservative, uh, seeker-driven church. Wait till you hear it. You, yeah. It's about Neverland and scribbles and the inward journey. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get back from the break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. I did not spontaneously combust during the commercial break. Sermon review time. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City Community Church, Indianapolis, Indiana. It's in my backyard. This is a church that, well, when it was planted, was talking about how it was trying to be a place where anybody can come, a, a come-as-you-are, seeker-driven kind of church. You know, a place for everybody, if you would. Their uh, current sermon series entitled Scribbles. Yeah, Scribbles. Writing, uh, random writings from an, in, an intentional journey. This particular sermon from the sermon series is entitled Neverland. Yeah, Neverland. Now, the co-pastors there at uh, City Community Church, um, I think it's Eric Cooper and uh, Nathan LaGrange, they're not the ones preaching. Uh, this is a gal by the name of Tara Gentry, and I want you to listen to this. 
This is probably the most narcissistic, me-centered, spiritually bankrupt, subjective nonsense that I've heard quote from pulpit. But the reality is, is that what she's, what this woman is is saying here, permeates the the American Christian Church. They've exchanged the truth of God for subjectivity, dreams, and bizarro stuff. Yeah, she'll attempt to actually handle God's word, and she'll wield it miserably and wound herself and others um, with it, but let me uh, kill the music here. So without any further ado, here is uh, Tara Gentry. Um, uh, 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 Scribbles, um, the sermon is entitled Neverland. Here we go. We have been very blessed with some beautiful people uh, that just have a heart for God and a heart for God's people and have decided to really invest the things that are being revealed inside of them with all of us. And one of those such people is Tara Gentry. Uh, if you've been, Did you catch that? Let me back this up. L- listen carefully. This is the sermon review time at a so-called Bible-believing, conservative, seeker-driven church. Okay, and Tara Gentry is being called up to deliver the sermon because she's supposed to reveal to the church what God has been revealing inside of her heart. Being revealed inside of them. Hang on, got to back it up just a smidge more. It's a little tricky. Here we go. Heart for God and a heart for God's people and have decided to really invest the things that are being revealed inside of them with all of us. And one of those such... So we're not going to... We're not gonna, sermon time is to hear from God's... To hear from God in his word. But to hear from somebody whose God is apparently speaking into her heart and to her life so that she can share that with the rest of the world. In other words, her life story, her life movie, well, it's every bit as uh, as um, biblical as the Bible. I mean, God is working in her life, and so you can hear what God is saying to her, and it could be preached just like the Bible. People is Tara Gentry. Uh, if you've been here before, whenever Tara shared with us, it's beautiful. Uh, we're here in the middle of our Scribbles series, so we were like, man, what, who better to bring on and just share some of the insights that she's having? Uh, so I want you to give it up for the other girl of today, of the Girl Power Duo. This is Tara Gentry. Okay, before we get into the sermon, <clears throat> from the City Community Church website, here's their belief statement. <clears throat> The sole basis for our belief is the Bible, which is uniquely God-inspired, without error, and the final authority on all matters on which it speaks. As the Bible teaches, there is one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each possessing all the attributes of deity. God created humans to have fellowship with him, but they defied God by sinfully going their own way. As a result, we need God's saving grace to end our alienation from him. Salvation comes only through God's grace, not human effort, and must be received by repentance and faith. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, lived a sinless life on earth and voluntarily paid for all of our sin by dying on the cross as our substitute. If you had read this belief statement, there's more to it. I mean, you basically say what we're dealing with here at City Community Church is a Bible-believing, quote, conservative Christian church. They should be within the pale of orthodoxy. They affirm that the Bible is an is inerrant, inspired. They can they confess salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. That Christ died on the cross for our sins. 
folks, if you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and your if your pastor says he believes the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and he doesn't preach it, but instead is off doing other things or calling women up to do the sermons and to tell us what God is speaking in their hearts, then he doesn't really believe in the inerrancy and authority of Scripture. Doctrinal statements were never intended to be hung up on a web page to collect dust. Sound biblical doctrine is supposed to be boldly, unapologetically proclaimed and preached from the pulpit in every classroom, every opportunity that a pastor or a teacher within the church has an opportunity to open God's word. It is to be boldly proclaimed and professed. See if uh, that's what happens here at this conservative, conservative Bible believing that affirms the inerrancy of Scripture church in Indianapolis. John for my cold play. We're making it a little tradition, I think. John knows what I like. Um, we are in the middle of scribble series, which means that we are just kind of sharing journals with one another, sharing the things that God's speaking in our lives, and um, and we're taking time in the service to do some. They're what? Taking time to share what God is speaking into their lives. Oh, so your life is, well, you know, it's on par with the Bible. Some journaling. So if you brought a journal with you, go ahead and pull it out. You never know what might come to your mind and you want to jot down as we go. But if you don't have one, we have journals available for you. And so some of our friends here are going to come on down and just pass those out if you need one. If you'd like one, just raise your hand and they'll pass them down your way. Um... Who's happy that it's football season? Thank you. (laughs) I'm really happy that it's football season, and pretty much my Facebook will be loaded with constant talk of the Colts for the next, like, five months. So just get used to that. Um, The nonprofit organization that I work for was promised uh, at least one, if not two, um, game tickets this season. But we're not going to know until the last minute. Maybe when those games will be. So I might be leading worship up here for the next (laughs) few months with a jersey on and game face streaks just in case. (laughs) So, um, but I'm really happy that it's football season. I was especially happy last Sunday on game one of preseason and maybe a little bit too excited. Uh, I went to church with my students. I work in a girls faith-based rehab recovery program and five of them got baptized last Sunday at their church. So I went to church with them and had a great time. And then I was like, peace, there's a game on. See you guys (laughs) later. So I headed home and I turned the game on and I actually pulled out my journal while I was watching the game. And so um, there were some things that kind of had been in my heart through service. And of course, I was very moved watching each of the girls get baptized. One of their moms, all of their parents were there. One of their moms actually stepped in on the spot and got baptized with her daughter. So I'm all emotional. I have all these things I need to get out on paper that just couldn't wait. So I'm watching the game with my journal on my lap, and I was journaling on the commercials. And (laughs) I found myself writing some really beautiful, deep things, um, just kind of making notes of the things that moved me in the day in church. (laughs) And I was looking back through this this week. 
to see. Um, this is just absolute narcissism. I do not ever go to church to hear some woman prattle on about what she was journaling and the things that she thinks God is speaking into her life. We have a scripture. We have the scriptures. We have God's word to proclaim. Not the prattlings of of a woman, a self-focused, narcissistic woman, and talking to us about her life as if it's somehow on par with God's word. This is re folks, if I sound a little incensed, I am beyond incensed. And the reason why is because this is what is basically become of the Christian church in the United States. This is not some isolated incident. If you sit there and you go out and talk to, and I talk to people, they come and talk to me. I talk to conservative Bible-believing Christians, and this is the nonsense that they're caught up in, and they think they're doing the Lord's work, that they're hearing and believing sound biblical doctrine. I was just over the weekend invited to an event called the Hearing from God Conference, where you can go and you can find out what the whether those nudgings inside of you are from God or from the Holy uh, or from the devil or from uh, maybe some piece of undigested beef. It's a conference going to be held here in Indianapolis short, soon. I just might show up to you know. Hopefully go and be salt and light. This this is not good. It is time for there to be a house cleaning. No more of this kind of stuff and this nonsense. We need to get back to preaching the word. Christ and him crucified for our sins. And not tolerate people getting up and talking about, oh, the special things that God's speaking into their lives and heart and what they're journaling about. Nah, 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 nah. If there's anything I might want to share with you guys, and I thought it might not be as deep as I thought it was because all of a sudden I said, yes, interception, run all the way back to the 30. Nice. Multiple exclamation points. This is a killer first preseason game. Sorry, I got distracted for a minute. Anyway... And then I get all spiritual again. I, re- I sure don't know what you're doing in me, but there's this new liberation, not without its insecurities. It's grounded in trust and affirmation that you are working, that I should not and do not have to be any other than the terror that you made me to be. Keep me in this trust and work your wonders in my life to your glory, Lord. Boom! Niners just intercepted and ran back for a touchdown. Frowny face. 10-7 now, still Colts. Cute little dance at the goal line there from the Niner. Still, boo. (laughs) And that was my profound journaling from last Sunday. I share that embarrassing piece of information with you and my embarrassing journal. My best best friend gave me this because she thinks that I'm childlike. Um, But I share that with you to say that uh, when I looked at that, I was a little embarrassed realizing how caught up I got in the moment. But, you know, a lot of times we kind of square and section God off into these bits and pieces of our life where we think he belongs and where we think he doesn't really belong. And I just want to tell you that God will dance with you in every area of your life if you will just let him out on the floor. If you'll just open the floor. What kind of lame God is that? He wants to dance with you if you'll just let him on the floor. Chapter and verse, please, Miss Gentry. 
Where is any of that nonsense taught in the scripture? It isn't. Explore and invite him to dance and all of it. God will dance with you and move with you and you'll find him and you'll experience him everywhere at any time. And I can't even begin to tell you the joy of that. <laughs> that makes maybe it, maybe it makes you feel ridiculous and you find yourself watching a football game and thinking about Jesus or God has given us a Bible. He's given us his word. Why on earth do I need to listen to some nut job speaking about the burblings, spiritual burblings within her heart, so to speak? Doesn't even sound like her heart really even understands who Christ is and what he's done. This this woman is completely narcissistically self-focused and that's what she's teaching other people to do to be narcissistically self-focused to just put the bible away and instead focus in on those inner you know dancings of the spirit within your life she's not even a pastrix what is she doing teaching a church during the sermon time Thinking about Jesus. By the way, she shouldn't even be a pastrix. <clears throat> and then talking about football with him, but you'll find him and you'll experience him and you'll enjoy him. And so I just encourage you, not just through this series when we're talking about the things we're journaling and all of that, but to look for him and to invite him into all of your life and to open the floor of your life to him entirely. If you have your journal out, there's something I'd like to have you go ahead and write down. I won't make you do this all day. <laughs> But as I was driving home from the baseball game last night, I was just thinking about the things that I've watched God connect and restore. That I... And what makes you think, Miss Gentry, that the things you were thinking about on the, home, on the way home from a baseball game are appropriate for, to, to be brought up during the sermon time in a church as if they're the oracles of God? really 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 thought were impossible things that i'm actively watching come back to life and come back together that i didn't really believe could happen anymore and as i pulled in home last night god just spoke to my heart and said never underestimate the god who redeems oh what a wonderful so i'm so glad god put that on your heart Again, I don't need what God speaks into your heart. I need what is in the scriptures. And I just want you to write that. And if that's the only thing that you end up scribbling today, I just want to start with that word in your heart. Never underestimate the God who redeems. A few weeks ago when I um, found out I would be speaking today, I was kind of thinking back in my catalog of journaling uh, themes and all of that, what I might like to share with you. I have loads and loads and loads of journals from different seasons of my whole life. I'm sort of a sporadic journaler, so there will be these heavy, really long chunks, and then two years later, I'm like, oh, hey, sorry, I haven't been writing for a while. Um, 
And so I, I looked through the things that I had, and I even went to my mom and dad's house, and I pulled out the bin from under my bed and was looking through my high school journals and my college journals. And in the middle of all of that, I came across the Precious Moments Pink Bible from my childhood. <laughs> Does anybody else have the Precious Moments Bible growing up? Yeah. <laughs> I had the pink one. My sister had the baby blue Precious Moments Bible. I was mama's little girl, and she was daddy's, so I got the pink. She got the blue. But this was always really, really special to me because my grandparents were a museum of precious moments in their house growing up. So having my precious moments Bible just contains a lot for me within it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my childhood Bible. I pulled it out on the floor and I started flipping through it. It was hilarious. I (laughs) scribbled all over this thing when I was seven years old, which to people who know me well, They know that my Bible is the ultimate journaling space for me. My Bibles are covered probably with more of my own words than printed words. I write and write and write all over them. (laughs) It was kind of cool to see that I was doing that all the way back when I was a little girl. There's all these different pictures in here of precious moments. And have you guys ever seen the one uh, of the doctor who's sitting by the globe and the globe has bandages all over it. He's listening with his stethoscope. It says, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. Um, (laughs) that one's in here. And I actually, uh, found that in here and I had put little bubble captions over his head and he's thinking, sounds like Satan. (laughs) And then he pauses for a moment and he thinks, I know the answer is Jesus. And I was just kind of moved by how um, dorky I was back then, but also how innocent and how precious the heart of this little girl was all over these pictures. For some reason, I felt the need to write my own captions. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the little, the little guy with his bandaged dog and kitty. And I wrote, God likes peacemakers. God loves peacemakers. There's captions all over here of just a reflection of my little seven-year-old heart of what I saw and I felt looking at those pictures. When I flipped to the very front of the Bible, I found a note from my mom when she gave me this Bible. (laughs) And I found this little note from seven-year-old Tara that says, I will serve Jesus forever and ever. I will serve Jesus forever and ever. Little did I know at that age how that faith would be tested over time. How over the years I would wander and I would question and I would doubt. Like Peter at the Last Supper, when Jesus warned him that he would deny him. But Peter said, no, no, I would never do that. I would never deny you. I would die for you. And hours later... He's denying and wandering. And I think about how many times my life has been that very same picture where I started off with this passionate, childlike faith that could shout to the mountaintops, I will serve Jesus forever and ever. And then life happens and that faith and that love. Are you being taught the word of God here? Not even close. Love, that trust has been tested and tempted and it just doesn't seem so simple anymore. There's a beautiful film that was released a couple years ago. And if you haven't seen it, I'm giving you homework to go home and watch it because it's going to wrap. And this is from a Bible-believing, conservative, seeker-driven church. Wrap up this whole day 
like a beautiful little package for you. But it's called Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. It's one of my favorite movies. It's rated G. It's family friendly. Um, but it's about a magical toy store and this owner who's kind of moving on and this up-and-coming owner who always believed in the magic of the toy store. And she used to believe in herself. People used to tell her how amazing she was and what a talented musician she was, a musical genius, that her future was bright and that she would be something great. But as life carried on, she began to believe less and less and less in the magic and especially less and less in herself. And then this movie, there's a little boy who narrates. And at one point, talking about this main character, he says... I don't know why grown-ups don't believe what they believed when they were kids. Aren't they supposed to be smarter? And I think that about Christians a lot of times. I don't know why we don't believe what we used to believe when we were kids. Yeah, it's because, you, it, well, the pastors aren't preaching that stuff anymore. You know, the Bible. Instead, they have women like you coming up and just basically uh, <clears throat> telling people whatever just comes to your heart or mind. Aren't we supposed to be smarter? Aren't we supposed to be growing up into, not growing out of our faith? Yeah, well, that would require you to actually, you know, have a faith to grow into. You know, the one that, you know, takes the the oracle of God, God's word, seriously. That That where the pastor does a very reverent job of properly handling God's word and bringing it forth as if it's the word of God and preaching and teaching what it says as if it's the word of God, focusing us in on Christ and him crucified for our sins as if people's very eternal lives depend upon it, because they do, instead of all this stuff. If there is one thing that really aggravated Jesus, it was a lack of faith of unbelief. Jesus was super patient with people's fears, understanding of questions, but read it and look for it. And you're going to see some attitude out of Jesus <laughs> over unbelief. It frustrated him because the call of Christ for us is to grow up into the enormity of childlike faith, to grow into it, to continue to spread those wings of belief, of trust, of innocent confidence. In How can they believe in one that isn't preached? How can their faith grow in Christ when their understanding of what, what he is, who he is, what he's done, couldn't fill a thimble if their life depended upon it? And the God who is good, to the point where we believe more and more and more, not less and less and less. And we could all kind of hoot and holler over that and shout amen. And yeah, I agree. I agree. It's true. I feel that. Amen. Nodding. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I do that all the time. I find myself just randomly nodding and not realizing what I'm nodding with. And if I were to really think about what I feel about some of the things that the Bible says, I would have to admit that I struggle with some of this. Just some of it. Wow. You're so spiritual. We could hoot and holler over Faith, yeah, people of faith, let's rise up and childlike faith. This is great. This is what the call of God is, kingdom of God on earth. And yet if we got... I don't even know what you're talking about. Really honest with ourselves and with each other today, I think that we would probably admit that there are parts of us that are terrified by this faith life. 
If I was really honest with you, I could tell you that there are days more often than not that I really, really doubt God. That I don't believe him quite like I used to. There are days when I wander and I wonder and I wish that I could believe like I used to believe. But I find that life has just stripped and stripped and stripped away at that childlike faith and trust and innocence inside of me. Have you ever had a day that started off pretty perfect? You kind of got up on the right side of the bed in the morning. You have this feeling that it's going to be a perfect day. It's going to be a great day. I feel good. I'm looking good. I'm having a good hair day. My makeup looks nice for girls out there. We're feeling good about ourselves, and we feel like nothing can take away the joy of this day. And then we step out, and, oh, shoot, I'm five minutes behind today. And then little bits and pieces of things happen. Somebody aggravates us. We find out that our car is broken. It's going to cost $500 to fix it. And one thing after another, after another, after another just strips away the joy of that day. I found myself just this week, actually, this was yesterday. I ran into a chair yesterday really hard. And if you feel it, actually, there's this huge knot well in my leg. Um, it's this big. I ran into a chair yesterday. We're, we're halfway through the sermon. Halfway through. Have you learned anything? Anything substantive from the word of God? How on earth are we supposed to pass the Christian faith in all of its profoundness and all of its depth and all of its glory in Christ onto the next generation when opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to proclaim it and to proclaim the inerrant word of God is passed by and instead what we get is this kind of stuff. I don't want to hear about you running into a chair or or how you thought you would have a perfect day because your hair and your makeup were all, all right, but then, then things terrible, things happened, and you didn't have a wonderful, joyful day anymore. Who cares? I'm not here. I, people don't attend church to hear about you. Today, and it hurt so bad, it took my breath away, and I was just, like, paused for a good 30 seconds, like... Am I going to cry? I might cry right now, but I didn't cry. But, like, I could take that hit. It was one hit. It was a really, really rough day yesterday. I had to be up 5.30 in the morning. I don't do 5.30 in the morning. I had to drive my girls two hours away and two hours back. It was just a long day. And knowing all of that, I was a little, uh, already. Then I hit my leg, and that really, really hurt. And walking up and down these stairs at this building kept making it hurt worse. I get home, and... (laughs) I was uh, gathering some things to take with me to the game last night. I'm in this closet, and this empty binder just falls out of the closet and falls on my foot. This would not be a big deal on a regular day. But I got up at 5.30 in the morning, and I had to drive two hours there and two hours back and walk up and down these stairs with a bruised leg and a welt on my thigh. And this binder falls on my foot and puts this tiny little gash on the top of the same foot that got hit by the chair And I just, like, broke down for a second and had a little moment. And I started to whimper, and I literally said, this was supposed to be a good day. Again, the question, how on earth are we supposed to pass the Christian faith on to the next generation when opportunity after opportunity to 
proclaim it, to teach it, to profess it is passed up. And instead, this is what is is going on. It just came out. And I remember feeling like, when I woke up this morning, this was going to be an awesome day. And now I have a bruise on my leg and a cut on my foot and everything is ruined. And sometimes with life at the onset, you know, we, we're young and we feel inspired. We dream, we believe, and everything is going to be beautiful and great. It's going to be wonderful. And then stuff happens and we run into things and things fall on us and we get frustrated and disappointed and discouraged, disillusioned. And we find ourselves just kind of whimpering like this was supposed to be a great life. Oh, my. Apparently, we have a kindergartner, a kindergarten woman teaching from the pulpit. This is ridiculous. And we complain about the fact that Glenn Beck is taking the moral high ground to discuss religion in the United States. I can't see how this kind of preaching could possibly raise the next Spurgeon. I don't see how this kind of preaching could possibly feed the Christian faith that fuels the next Martin Luther. And we begin to just kind of settle into the discomfort of disbelief. We kind of find ourselves snuggling into a deathbed of a diminishing faith. All the while, that child inside is dying to be free to believe again. What? In Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Oh, I can't wait to hear how you handle God's word there, um, Tara. I'm, I'm sure that you are a profound biblical scholar. Jesus walked in on just such a deathbed. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm reading out of the precious moments just for you. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm going to have to go to private confession and absolution after this. Holy cow. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The story continues to talk about the woman with the issue of blood, how this woman had been bleeding for 12 years and she heard about Jesus and she kind of was at the end of her rope and she thought, if I can just lay my hands at the the hem of his garment, I can just get a hand on him, one touch and I'll be healed. So she breaks through and she has this moment with Jesus where he heals her, which is beautiful and wonderful for her, but for Jairus, who's desperate to get Jesus home to his dying baby girl, this is not good news. This lady is annoying and she's in the way. Watch what she does with this passage. I, I'm, <laughs> oh boy. 
And she interrupts the progress of what God was doing in his life. And so as Jesus took this time out to heal this older woman, it says in verse 34, verse 35, that while Jesus was speaking to this woman, some of the rulers came to Jairus and he said, they said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble Jesus any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the rulers of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. He permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. But I thought this was supposed to be a good day. (laughs) Wow. It gets worse. Hang on. Uh, you might want to put your crash helmet on. <laughs> You're going to need it. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, Arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. There are two things I want to share with you from this story this morning. The first is that this little girl, this Talitha little girl, was 12 years old. The Bible makes a point to tell us that she is 12 years old. And this kind of throws the story off because culturally, She's not a little girl anymore. She's a woman now. This is the time that she would have her bat mitzvah and become a woman. And childhood would be left behind now. And she would have to step into this adulthood, this womanhood. And yet Jesus specifically, intentionally calls her little girl. It's as if Jesus sees through what adulthood kind of does to us. And he intentionally speaks to the child inside. What? Jesus intentionally speaks to the child inside of us. What are you smoking? Of this young woman. He knows that if she's going to respond, if she's going to be able to hear. Okay, hang on. I got to back this up. You. It... <laughs> she's making the claim that Jesus is speaking to the little child inside of this, this girl, this 12 year old girl. Okay. Yeah. She's dead. Okay. She has a she has assumed room temperature. Her heart isn't beating, her ears don't work, her brain isn't functioning, her legs won't do anything, her eyes won't do it. There's she's dead. She is stone cold dead. D E A D dead. She's bought the farm, she's bit the bullet. She has uh, uh she's getting ready to take a dirt nap. She is gone. Gone, 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 doobie, doobie, gone. And um, the fine Bible scholar and in-depth biblical theologian uh, Tara Gentry here is basically making the claim that Jesus is speaking to the little girl inside of her. Yeah. Listen again. 
bat mitzvah and become a woman and childhood would be left behind now and she would have to step into this adulthood, this womanhood. And yet Jesus specifically intentionally calls her little girl. It's as if Jesus sees through what adulthood kind of does to us and he intentionally speaks to the child inside of this young woman. There is no child inside of that young woman. She's dead. Yet those of you complaining about uh, Glenn Beck taking the moral lead here in the United States, isn't it sad that Mormonism is more theologically and doctrinally rigorous and has more depth than these seeker-driven churches? And, well, basically the mainstream Christianity now? Yeah, this is just dumb. He knows that if she's going to respond, if she's going to be able to hear his voice and do something with what he's spoken to her, he has to appeal to the child underneath. There is no child underneath. She's dead. Yeah. Gone. Dead. There's no child underneath anything. She's dead. Jesus is speaking to her. And so he speaks to her and says, child, little girl, arise. Child, this woman needs you to come alive, to believe and respond. Little girl, don't be afraid. Just believe. And then he said, arise. No, he's not telling the little little girl, don't be afraid. Just believe. Dead people aren't afraid. (laughs) Arise. I love words, and I love words in the Bible. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And that word arise there in the Greek. Do you think she's studied Greek? Literally means this, to be roused from sleep. To be roused from sitting or lying around. To get up from disease, death, obscurity. Inactivity, ruins, non-existence, awake, lift up, raise up again, arise. So Jesus speaks this one word to this girl. He appeals to the child within her. (laughs) Oh, this, I just, I, you know, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. I mean, this is ridiculous. So here we have this woman who's not qualified to be preaching, who's preaching about herself, but decides she's going to whip out the Bible and try to try her hand at teaching God's word. And she has discovered something that nobody else has ever discovered in handling this text, that Jesus was speaking to the little girl within the dead girl and telling that little girl to arise. You know, the little girl within the dead girl, because, you know, she was dead, Tara, Did you learn this in Bible college when you studied to be a pastrix? Did you study God's word? Did you learn Hebrew and Greek? Jesus resurrected her from the dead. She was dead. There was nothing inside of her. She was gone. And he says to her, little girl, arise. And within that word, arise, there's this package of so many things that appeal to all of us this picture no it was a command jesus commanded her to get up 
The same God who said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God who said, let the earth bring forth food-bearing plants, and let the oceans teem with fish, and all of that. Read the Genesis account. That same God who spoke the universe into existence in six days said to this dead little girl, arise. And she arose, not because it was a little girl inside of her. She was dead. Not because there was anything to appeal to with inside of her. She was gone. But because he's God in human flesh. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator of heaven and earth. Oh, of the deathbed that she's she's lying in her sickness, her disease, this death, this inactivity, these ruins, this apparent not. Apparently, death is just inactivity. <sighs> Non-existence of life that she's lingering in now. And he speaks to her and he tells her, don't listen to the doubters. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen. <laughs> what? Jesus was telling this dead girl, don't listen to the doubters and don't listen to the haters. She was dead. Doubters and haters, she wouldn't have been able to hear them or see them or perceive any of their doubting or hating. She was dead. Unbelievable. Uh, folks, there's a reason why Glenn Beck is uh, taking the moral high ground and taking the, uh, the spiritual lead here in the United States. It's because Mormonism has more to offer people spiritually and intellectually than Christianity does right now. And it's not because Christianity doesn't have anything to offer. It's because people aren't offering it. Pastors aren't preaching it. Unbelievable. Listen to the voice of unbelief. Listen to the voice of me as I speak to the child inside of you to believe again. I, I just, this is so breathtakingly awful and so uh, uh, absolutely stupid that anyone would take any of this seriously as biblical preaching. I've got to play it again in context. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> this one, I'm just going to let this one play out. Listen in. Things that appeal to all of us. This picture of the deathbed that she's, she's lying in, her sickness, her disease, this death, this inactivity, these ruins, this apparent non-existence of life that she's lingering in now. And he speaks to her and he tells her, don't listen to the doubters. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the voice of unbelief. Listen to the voice of me as I speak to the child inside of you to believe again, to hear me, to believe me. And in childlike faith, get up. <laughs> she was dead. She can't exercise anything. In childlike faith, get up. Rise again. In other words, Jesus is saying to her, Hey, Talitha. Hey, little girl. Welcome to Neverland. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> A few months back, I, I scribbled this. There are some films that keep me crying over and over again, no matter how many times I've seen them. One of my favorites is Finding Neverland. I could watch that movie five times a day and not get tired of it. It's beautiful. The music, the message, the artistry, I love it. I watch Finding Neverland, and I find myself drawn into the mystery and the magic. I'm lured into this world where permission has been granted to believe 
to hope, to live inspired in the wonder of all that is and can be. I wish that every morning was a Finding Neverland morning. So it ruins my makeup. Makeup's fixable. I would gladly live with mascara-stained cheeks if it meant that every morning was an inspired morning. Mornings when I see the beauty and wonder in an ordinary day. When I'm lured again into a world where I embrace the permission to believe, to hope, and to live inspired by all that is and can be. I wish that every morning I could wake up and find my very own Neverland. Yeah, this is the sermon time at a church that says that it holds to the inerrant word of God, believes in Christ's death on the cross for our sins, and believes in the Holy Trinity. This is a conservative church. This ain't a liberal, whack-job, emergent church. This is a church that says that it's conservative. But a lot of mornings I wake up, and instead of finding Neverland, I found boring land, blah land. Oh, great, it's another morning land. I wake up to the same old problems and pain. I wake up remembering that people have hurt me and that life is not what I had planned. Instead of finding the wonder and joy of Neverland, I often awake to a hopelessness, a sense of loss and disinterest. I find myself in a world where nothing matters much anymore, and I wonder if this is all there is. Reading the stories of Jesus... I- yeah, I, I sit there and wonder, boy, is, that, is this all there is to Christianity? Can you imagine somebody, you know, quote testing out the Christian faith. He wanted to find out a little bit about more what it's all about. Basically leaving going, there ain't nothing to Christianity. It doesn't have anything to offer except for me-centered, complete nutjob fantasies. There's nothing rigorous about its doctrine. There's nothing great about its proclamation. It's completely void of truth. It's vapid. It couldn't fill a thimble with it, with anything has nothing to offer humanity except for self-focused, narcissistic, some kind of spirituality that centers about me. Is it any wonder that a Mormon has taken the religious lead in the United States? Well, because Christianity has abdicated its responsibility to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, to preach the word, to uphold sound doctrine and refute and rebuke those who contradict it. This woman has no business being in a pulpit. And Pastor LaGrange and Pastor Cooper, the co-pastors there at City Community Church in Indianapolis, they should apologize not only to everybody in their congregation, but apologize to the church at large forever allowing this woman to speak. And they should spend the next 10 years repenting of just this sermon by dedicating themselves to proclaiming sound doctrine. And then the 10 years after that and the 10 years after that, repenting of the other 10 years for not even doing that enough. (sighs) I get the idea that he might be a fan of Neverland too. I get the feeling that maybe this Neverland, this place where we are invited to become and remain like a child, it does exist. Every day in the kingdom of God, I can wake up and find Neverland. In the kingdom of God, we're invited to... Yeah, Neverland does exist. We, Neverland in the churches, you never get to hear Christ's name crucified for our sins. You never get to hear sound biblical doctrine. You never get to hear God's word correctly preached. Yeah, this is Neverland, all right. Awaken to a new world and a new way of life. A world where dangers lurk, but kids overcome. Where fears are faced, and despite all appearances, hope is alive. As I get to know Jesus more, I'm waking less to boring land, and I'm waking more to Neverland. 
yeah, a lot of the same old struggles are there. I still wake up some mornings and realize I was dreaming about people that hurt me. I still have a hard time falling asleep some nights because I can't seem to shut off the memories I wish would go away. I still have moments when I don't want to get out of bed and try again. But morning or night, Jesus is there. Like Peter Pan sneaking in through Wendy's window, hope is restored. Jesus is Peter Pan, apparently. Restored as I'm awakened to him again. I remember Jesus, and it's as if my soul sighs in relief. Oh, yeah. I remember Jesus, and I believe again. In those moments, he's inviting me to go with him to his neverland, to live in his kingdom, his way, like a child. In those moments, Jesus comes alongside, and he whispers in my ear, Talitha Kum, little girl, arise. I wonder, what would it look like for you today? If you, I, I, yeah, just, I hate these kinds of. These, this is. I wonder what it would look like to you if you would just let the little child within you arise, so that you can experience Neverland. Let the child lead you. What would that look like in your life and your way to let the child lead? This isn't even a biblical question, lady. I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a 42-year-old man. I'm overweight. I have gray hair in my beard. Thank God I'm not balding. My memory ain't what it used to be, and and things just ain't working the way they used to either. And you want me to, quote, let the little child within me lead me? What are you smoking? You've got to be out of your mind. I do have childlike faith in Christ in this sense. I believe him. I believe his word to be true, and I will not be shaken from it. But this isn't Christianity that you're preaching, lady. This is just narcissistic nonsense. To be perfectly honest with you, it is not super easy for me to get up and to speak in front of people. It's especially not easy for me. Such a bold confession. To sing in front of people. I always hated singing in front of people. If I ever wanted to be a part of something, of a choir or something like that in school, and you had to try out, I just wouldn't do it. I would rather not do it than have to try out and audition and sing for somebody and really know they're paying attention to me and my voice. And somewhere along the line... That never really went away. But something inside of me just really loved singing to Jesus. And I didn't want to let those fears and those insecurities keep me anymore from just letting the child lead. And so (laughs) I told Eric a couple months ago that every time I speak, I vow to myself, I'm never doing that ever again. It's not happening. And then I have an opportunity and something inside of me is like, absolutely, I would love to. (laughs) And I know that in about 20 minutes, I'm going to go, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) 
But the child inside of me just loves talking about Jesus and just loves telling people what he's showing me and what we're doing together. And I love talking about him. I love sharing him. And so the child, every time that the adult wants to say, no, absolutely not, that makes me feel stupid and vulnerable and exposed. I don't want to do that anymore. The child goes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Put me in coach. I want to play. And then I have opportunities to sing and everything inside of me goes, Tara, you're not that great. Don't you, you shouldn't do this. I feel so stupid. I feel so stupid. My voice cracks and all the things that my head says over and over and over and over again. And the child says, but I want to sing to Jesus. And so every time that I have the chance to come out and, and sing and worship with you and I have to stand in front of all of you, I feel completely vulnerable and completely exposed but that's my way of choosing to let the child lead. And to be- oh, you're so spiritual because you chose to let the child lead. I mean, you are so much closer to Jesus than me because you chose to let the child lead you than the child inside of you, your inner child. Yeah. Where is any of this taught in Scripture? It isn't be perfectly honest, I'm not always feeling it. I'm not always feeling emotional and beautiful and the wonder and the love of Jesus. Yeah, because we all know that, well, if your feelings aren't feeling it, that that's bad. But I'm letting the child lead. Yeah, see, that's the solution. So even when you're not feeling it, the good news is, is that you're so spiritual, you let the child lead. I'm letting her sing and I'm letting her speak and I'm letting her live and her believe again. And when I raise my hands to Jesus and I reach for him and I sometimes feel silly in front of all these people doing that, the little girl is throwing her hands up to her dad and saying, Daddy, pick me up, pick me up. And I'm learning what it looks like for me to let her lead me in here and outside of here. What does any of this mean? You, you wonder why there's the, the men don't like going to many churches. <laughs> this is the kind of sermon that would send men screaming like little girls. And I wonder for you, what does that look like? What would it look like for you to let the child lead you from the inside out? Really? And again, where is this question asked of me in the Bible Mm, yeah, it's not. To let that little boy or that little girl of faith be the boss of you. To push and set aside all of the things that rationalize and question and doubt and to choose to believe now. Maybe it doesn't come so naturally, but to choose and trust. To believe what? To just believe it because I believe that I believe? Believe what? To believe. Have some things for you to scribble this morning, some things for you to think about. We're just going to play a song as we close. If you want to write these questions down, you can, or just think on them. Yeah, that is, that'll solve them. All kinds of problems. Are there casualties of your faith that you need Jesus to restore to life again? What does the question even mean? What are you talking about? 
Are there casualties of your faith that you need Jesus to restore to life again? It sounds spiritual because it has the word Jesus in it, but this, the, the question doesn't mean anything. What would it look like for you to believe again? Uh, I still believe and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the the holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I kind of mixed a couple of creeds there, but that's what I believe in. That's what I trust. That's what the scriptures teach. Believe what, woman? What would it look like for you to believe again? Believe in what? If you're talking about believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, confessing the one true historic Christian faith, that's one thing. But I'm not hearing any of that stuff from you. I'm hearing about Neverland and letting the child within me lead. Yeah, I don't believe in any of that. So it, it, what, what, I, I, there's nothing that you can talk me into, no question that you would ask that would make me want to answer that. What would it look like for me to believe the way Tara Gentry does? Because I don't think you even know what Christianity is, Tara. To choose to trust in the face of doubt and fear. What would it look like for... Trust whom? Trust what? For you to let the child lead. What would it look like for you to let the child lead? I, again, this isn't even a biblical question. You may feel like, God, I don't even know what to say about this because I just feel stuck. No, I don't even know what to say about it because it's just absurd. I can't count the number of times that I've come to God and I've just been left kind of speechless and dumbfounded. Yeah, probably because there's your faith is completely not based upon any words is speechless and is dumbfounding because it doesn't make a darn bit of sense because you've just invented it yourself rather than preached it and proclaimed it and believed it from God's word. And empty. And I, all I can really do is just kind of collapse on the floor there going, this was supposed to be perfect life. Just wait for him to meet me there. Where does the Bible say this was supposed to be a perfect life? Huh? How many times I've just prayed the one thing I know how to say, Lord, I believe. Heal my unbelief. Believe what? God, I believe, but heal those parts of me that don't believe you anymore. God, I really, really, really want to believe. Heal the part of me that is paralyzed by unbelief. 
Believe what? Meet me here and do for me what I can't do for myself. Which is what? And bring this childlike faith back to life. Childlike faith in what? In who? Jesus said that if you want to live my kingdom my way, then you have to change and become like a little child. No, he didn't. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. Hang on a second here. Got to do a little biblical corrective here. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Hang on. Uh, Like a little, hang on a second. See if I can find this here in my, uh, mm -hmm, mm Yeah, the uh, passage in question is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 15. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is talking about faith. Let's uh, let's put a little context around this. Hang on a second here. Got to put some context. Okay. All right. So here we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus saw that he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he took in his arms a child and, and bless them and then laying his hands on them. He, and as he was setting on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you get the context of what's going on there here. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Tara's uh, misquoting of that passage. It doesn't say any of the stuff she said that it said. I mean, it's, this is just horrible. I don't even know what to make of this sermon anymore. Change isn't always easy, and that won't happen in a moment. But it will happen in a continual choosing to trust him again and again and again. As For what again? So we live out that constant childhood of trust in our God. God specializes in restoration. So never underestimate the God who redeems. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that would, by the way, she's quoting what God laid on her heart. Again, not the Bible, but that was a quote from what something that God laid on her heart. I'm just going to play this song and give you a few minutes to scribble. So you you can now journal and answer those three profoundly spiritual questions. And then we'll close. Can't wait to hear the music. God, we want to believe you. you got. 
God. Heal our unbelief. Heal those pieces of us that are afraid to trust you still. Heal those pieces of us that are afraid to trust others. Unbelievable. Heal the brokenness within us, God. And yet somehow keep us broken enough that we are always aware of our desperate need for you. I I don't know what any of this prayer is supposed to mean. God, keep us from ever looking to any other source. For source of what? Lord, we just lay our lives entirely before you now. You're a risky God. You're risky enough to let us be tested and tempted to allow us to suffer. Knowing full well that we may wash our hands of you and walk off forever. And yet you believe in us. You believe in us enough to allow for the pain. God believes in us. Oh, man. And you believe in us enough to hold on to you and to keep believing, even when it's not easy. God, we just ask you today to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves in living out this continuous childhood of faith and trust and love in you. Oh, man. And we'll just lay our lives entirely before you now in Jesus' name. Yeah, that was my train wreck sound. Folks, we have got a big problem. The reason why Mormonism is so appealing to many Americans is because Mormonism is more theologically and doctrinally rigorous than many conservative Christian churches nowadays. If you don't believe me, go back and listen to all of my sermon reviews from churches that claim to be conservative churches such as Community, um, City Community Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. That was an example of a conservative, Bible-believing sermon. Yeah. It's time for the church to repent. We have allowed our leadership to sink into utter asininity. This is just ridiculous. We have got the, the best theology, the best doctrine, the greatest good news. We have got the truth. And we've decided to hide it under a bushel in the, in the hopes of not offending anybody. So that we can grow our churches and show people how much Jesus cares about their felt needs. So that we can go to Neverland and play with Jesus, who's now Peter Pan. And so that we can let the child within us lead. Mm-hmm. Right. This is just ridiculous. This is not. This isn't Christianity. This is just stupidity. 
And as long as this is what permeates the Christian community on the conservative side, I mean, with friends like this, who needs enemies? Yeah, it's time to repent. It's time to repent of false doctrine, false teachers, this kind of stupidity and asininity and vapidity to repent, to be forgiven for this, and then to bear fruit in keeping with this repentance from our pulpits where God's word is handled reverently, God's word is actually proclaimed and taught, Christ and him crucified for our sins is boldly and unashamedly preached, then maybe, then just maybe, the Mormons wouldn't stand a chance at taking the lead spiritually in this country? Yeah. Oh, man. This is... I, I, I don't know what else to say. I'll just close. If you, I just need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. If you like tuning in and hear me blowing up on a regular basis, uh, please consider supporting us financially. I mean, <sighs> visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Those buttons there, click one of them, pick something. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just sign off. I, this, I, this, this is exactly why Mormons have now taken the lead spiritually in this country. They're making more sense. It, it, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're more serious about their, quote, Christian doctrine than Christian churches are. Unbelievable. If, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for our sins. Not that that's important to preach or anything. Amen. Amen.